All right, let's uh, pray. We're going to look at Romans 9 and get right to work. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you that you're here and alive and you're working in and through us. And we want to know your way better. So, Holy Spirit of God, we just invite you now to clear our minds of the things that are not as important so that we could focus on the words that are right and true. Uh, thank you, God, for giving us this letter to an ancient church because it still speaks to us in profound ways. And we thank you, God, that you're still speaking. So we want to we hear from you. And we ask you, uh, like we sang at the outset, to show us your glory. Show us who you are so we can follow you. Amen. Amen. All right, well, obviously, as it has been said, uh, happy Mother's Day to all of you moms. Today is a day that we get to set aside and thank those who've experienced the privilege and the severe pain of, uh, of being a mom. You know, I mean, there are hard jobs and then there's motherhood and that ranks way more uh, rewarding. But those of you who are or have watched others try to, to lead kids who don't want to be led, um, that is a high calling, and we just say, we say thank you. It's the hardest job, and I'm grateful. My mom's up here. They live in Medford, and my wife's right next to her, so I'm, I'm doubly blessed with a mom who loves Jesus and a wife who loves Jesus, and so I'm grateful. But I, I also do recognize, and we want to say, uh, to those of you who have not been called, who maybe have a heart's desire, and that hasn't happened for whatever reason, maybe it's not your time or maybe it never will, uh, we want to say thank you for your calling, and you're not second class in God's working. God is uniquely working in you as he's working in others. And so even though the culture has a card for everyone else, right, uh, God's calling on you is big. And so rejoice in what God's doing, even though it may be hard. And also we just want to say I know some in our community have lost their moms recently, and this is not a good day. So if you're, if you're um, maybe distant from mom because of some challenges in your family or she's just not here anymore, uh, we mourn with you today as well. It's, it's one of those weird ones, you know. All the cards look like, ha-ha. But that's just not life, is it? And so we want to celebrate the, the whole spectrum of the experiences and trust that Jesus is going to work in all of it. Because, uh, truth be told, family is a beautiful mystery. It's beautiful. Uh, they just left, but, but Steve and Vicki Marshman, they are, uh, he's one of our elders, and they just had their first grandbaby a couple of days ago. And I know, and Lil, Lil Jackson, I mean, he, he, I don't think he ever texts me pictures, but every few hours, we'll get another one. Like, look, look, look at me from the left side, the right side. Like, you know, and, 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 and they smile, but now that they're grandparents, it's huge. And that's just, it's beautiful, right? It's beautiful. But families also, it's, it's a mystery. Most of us did not choose our parents, did we? We didn't. You know, maybe in an adoptive thing, you, you did. Most of us don't choose our parents. And none of us chose where we were born. Uh, we didn't choose what we looked like. We didn't choose our background and upbringing. It happened. So, so whenever you talk about family, it's beautiful. And it's also it's also mysterious. I don't, I don't understand it. And so uh, what we're going to do on Mother's Day, we're going to look at a really easy part of the Bible. We're just going to continue our study in Romans. In Romans 9, 
Uh, actually, it's easy. I'm saying it sarcastically. Um, this is one of the most serious and beautiful parts of Romans that we're looking at. And what I want to do is give a disclaimer. I've looked at the Bible for years and really seriously at Romans 9 to understand it. I still don't get it. I still, I still don't totally get it. And so if you leave here with questions, I've got them. And if you leave here with, oh, what about, I have those too. And at the same time, you can not know it all and leave with a bigger view of God. You, if you leave here like, wow, God is more amazing than I even anticipated, then job well done. And when in doubt, just email me your questions afterwards and I'll forward them to Jim Williams. <laughs> I'm not kidding, I will. Who's actually teaching next Sunday? Because I really don't understand that one. All right. That's how we do team teaching. All the difficult ones go to gym. All right, Romans chapter 9. We'll look at verses 1 through 5, which we covered last week, just to refresh our brain. And then we'll, we'll really focus on verses 6 through 11. Okay, Romans 9, 1. I speak the truth in Christ, and I'm not lying, and my conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for... I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my own people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and underline this one, and the promises. That's going to come up again. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. All right, so what we saw last week is Paul sees what God has done, and he loves these people. Why? That's his own background. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that whole family line, the Bible, the temple, worship, there's a group that knew God in a closer way than anyone. And you know what breaks his heart? Is the most you think of often people who would receive the, Jesus the Messiah would be the Jewish people. But guess what? History doesn't pan out that way. And Paul's one of the few that comes from this background that actually embraces Jesus. And so his heart's breaking because like these are real people who've rejected God by rejecting Jesus, and they've got the promises. Okay, we're going to link in to what those promises are. Now, there's a big, big picture question that Paul's thinking through, and it's an honest question. Okay, you're quoting the Bible, Paul. You're telling me that Jesus came to rescue the Jews. Why don't they receive him? How do I know I can trust Jesus if the very people he came to rescue, who know him the most, they reject him. In other words, did God fail? That's a canonical. If God failed, who wants to follow him? Did God fail? And so Paul, thinking about that, begins to unfold what God is doing in verse 6. Let's just look at it. It is not as though God's word had failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children? You got it? Well, that sounds a little confusing. It gets worse. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. 
In other words, it's not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it's the children of the promise, there's that word again, who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Got it? Join the club. I don't, I don't get it either. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's promise in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, quote, the older will serve the younger. Did that clear it up for you? I mean, like, what's going on here? Here's my favorite. This is a perfect one for Mother's Day. We should put this on a card. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> you know, well, what are we doing? We're looking at the big picture, Romans 9, 10, and 11, is about the people of the good news. Who are God's people, right? Now, verses 9 through 13, if we don't look at the big picture question, we're going to get stuck on God saying, Jacob, I've loved, Esau, I've hated. Now, I'll get to that at the end. What's the big picture question? Is God faithful to his promises? What Romans 9 is about is answering the big picture question. How can I believe this good news of Jesus when there are so many Jews who don't believe? Did God fail? Well, Paul has no New Testament. We forget that. When Paul's sharing the gospel, all he has is Genesis through Malachi, what are called the Hebrew scriptures, we call the Old Testament. So everything people are learning about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the rest of them, they're not circulated yet. So he's sharing... Look, look at what God has done, and that points to Jesus, to which people would say, well, how come the very Jews who read this, they don't believe? Did God fail? Where his obvious answer, and by the way, I realize and recognize this is not the most relevant question on Mother's Day. The most relevant question is where are you going to brunch? And son, you better be paying <laughs> for a mom. Like, you know, or if you've forgotten to call her, hello, you're wondering when are you going to do it? Do it. Get out. Go do it. Go do it now. And then listen to the podcast. Well, but, but is this a relevant question? Well, let me flip it because it does. Is God faithful to his promises to Israel? But that may not be relevant. But what is relevant is will God be faithful to you? <laughs> That's like if all this is true and I follow Jesus, Will God be faithful? Well, how do I know? I'm just going to look at two. First one, simple. Second one, we'll look more in depth. I think two reasons, and then Jim is going to pick it up next week. I'm going to kind of build on this. First reason why I believe that you can stand on God's promises and know that God will be faithful is simply by, and just write this down, look at what God has done. Look at what God has done. What does Paul do? Israel doesn't believe. It seems like God's failed. Look at what he says in verse 6. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. How does Paul know this? Because he's reading his Bible in light of Jesus. He just reads the Bible in light of everything Jesus was and taught. And then he realized, he realized, wait, wait a minute. There are many people who have failed, and there are many people who call themselves part of, quote-unquote, Israel, 
But I just read the Bible in light of Jesus and I realize not everyone who descends from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is Israel. There are those who have failed, but God isn't one of them. Which just reminds us, what's the application point? Is there are lots of books about lots of things written by lots of people. And I'm a reader. I love to read. I love to learn. I love to listen to podcasts. Everyone has an opinion, but not all opinions are equal. Would you agree? Here's the challenge. We're living in a day that says if someone is an expert, we should listen to their opinion. And when that expert contradicts what God has said, for some crazy reason, we listen to the expert. Paul, who is an expert, equivalent of a Ph.D. in, in Bible and theology, he chooses to go to God with his questions. Look at what God has done. If you want to know God's faithfulness, then you don't have to take my opinion. Please don't take my opinion. Look to what God has said, and you're going to find consistency in how God has interacted with people for centuries, which, by the way, is greater than anyone with a Ph.D. And anyone with, a, with an algorithm or an idea. We, for some crazy reason, because we don't understand all of this book, we believe any other book. Go to the Word of God. And if you want to grow as a follower of Jesus, you have to saturate your brain in what God has said because everyone outside of what God has said may have a contradictory opinion. And when in doubt, you're going to have to trust somebody. I would encourage you, if you follow Jesus, trust God and He will see you through. That was just a aside because I love you. But he says, verse 6, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. All Paul does is he starts to trace what God has said and done. And what he's going to show us are two examples of proof. He could give us a bunch more, but remember, he's writing a letter. And so he just gives two examples that show in history people that are going to lead to God fulfilling his promise. Those examples are, he gives the example of Abraham uh, and his son, and then Isaac and his son, and, and we'll look at that. As he looks to history, he realizes some people are a part of God's promise and some are not. Now, that sounds like distant and ethereal. Let me just put it in our lingo. There are lots of people today who would call themselves Christian. Tons. Stats say more than a billion in the world claim to be Christian. The question is, does everyone who has the label Christian mean that they are? No. And let's make it closer to home. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's going to give examples of a family line. If your mom and dad follow Jesus, does that mean you're following Jesus? No. And so what's going to be shared in these next few moments actually has real application to you and your life. Number one, if you want to know if God's faithful, look at what God has done. Don't just assume. All right, number two, this is where we'll spend the rest of our time. Write it down. Look at who God chooses to use. Look at who God chooses to use. By the way, disclaimer, I'm not looking behind me. But the screen has been going in and out. If it pops out, we are experiencing technical difficulties. Don't worry about it, okay? Um, 
Hopefully the stuff will be up there for you. Look at who God chooses to use. Verse 7. Nor because they are his descendants, are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Okay, what's going to happen here? Paul's looking and reading the Bible in light of Jesus, and he realizes something. Okay, God gives a promise to who? Abraham. Is God faithful today? Well, let's look at Abraham. Not everyone who descends from Abraham is a child of promise. What he does is he connects the dots to God fail in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, I'm going to throw up a family tree. Just nod if it's up there. Great. And so I now memorize it. We're going to put it down, and then we're going to start in about 60 seconds. No. You can't. I can't. All I want you to see, and if you can't see it well, who cares? All I want you to see is that there is a line from Abraham to Jesus at the bottom. And what he's going to say is, not everyone is the promised one. And I'll explain this over time. But for now, you just see that there's three lines on Abraham. And he has, he has a, ch a child through Hagar, a child through Sarah, and a child through Keturah. And that whole line to your right, there's multiple kids who end up having multiple kids, multiple kids, multiple kids. In other words, over time, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who would say, I come from Abraham. And they're right. But is God faithful? What he's going to do, he's going to point out is that, yes, God is faithful to his promise. What's his promise? His promise is to bless the entire world through the seed, singular, seed of Abraham. Not through the seeds, through the seed. That is, what God is going to do is bless the whole world, now looking back, through Jesus. Jesus is the promise. Jesus is the seed that's going to bless the whole world. Well, where does the seed come from? From Abraham's children, but not all of them. I want you to notice, uh, on Hagar and Ishmael, there's no line pointing to Jesus. On Keturah and all those kids, there's no line pointing to Jesus. But there is a line pointing towards Jesus, and it happens to be through the line of Abraham, then to Isaac. So verse 8. In other words, it's not the children of physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. All of them are his kids, but God did not promise to bring the Messiah through all of those families. Does that make sense? He promised one family. As a matter of fact, verse 9. For this is how the promise was stated, and he quotes from Genesis, I think 25. At the appointed time, I will return, and Sarah will have a son. So what he does is he reads Genesis and realizes, wow, God made a promise to Abraham, but not through any children. It's through the children of Sarah, and that turns out to be Isaac. In other words, God is faithful. But let's just tease this out. So God did not choose Ishmael through the woman Hagar to fulfill his promise. Ishmael is not chosen. What, what about him? Why does God do that? I have no idea. No idea. As a matter of fact, if you read Genesis and you read the Bible, God doesn't give us all the juicy details on why he chooses Isaac through Sarah over Ishmael. 
what we're told is God decided to do it this way. Can God decide to do it that way? Nod your head. Yes, he happens to be God. Side note, if God doesn't make it clear, don't spin your wheels trying to figure it out. The things God wants us to know, he's made clear. The thing God just does and then he doesn't get into, don't spend your time. I think we get in trouble and we end up having, you know, arguments over stuff that God's like, why are you arguing? I'm God. Leave it alone. Move on. And so will I. Verse 10. All right. Not only that, but in another example. So Abraham threw Sarah to Isaac. Now, second example, verse 10. Not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, I'll pause on this. In case you're wondering, well, maybe God actually chooses the better kid, right? So, so God has, uh, gives Abraham multiple children through multiple women. Eh, maybe Ishmael was bad, so that's why God chose Isaac. No, no, no. He chose Isaac before Isaac was born. Then you get a weird one. They're two different women, two different kids. Maybe God decided to fix it. So now you have Rebecca has two kids, same mom, two kids at the same time. Did, did God choose the better kid? Well, we're reading. He's being really clear. God's faithful before anyone. He's, Rebecca doesn't even know what's going on. She's just very much with child, right? But God speaks a word. What is the word? Verse um, 11. Yet not before the twins are born or done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works. In other words, not, not because these kids were good or not good. But by him who calls, Rebekah was told, quote from Genesis, the older will serve the youngest. So Rebekah has twins. Now, in their culture, the oldest son was the son of blessing. You just need to know, today, if you got a will, theoretically, if you have something you pass on, you kind of spread it between the kids, right? Or whomever. But in their day, in the culture, the blessing came through the eldest son. So Abraham to Isaac, okay, the eldest son of Sarah. That, that makes sense. Then God says, the culture says Rebekah's eldest, the, the eldest son, should get the blessing, but actually, I'm not going to do it that way. The older will serve the younger. In other words, the blessing is going to come through son number two. Why does God do it this way? I have no idea. By the way, can God flip cultural norms? Yeah. He's not like, oh, man, I wish I would have done it through the eldest, but I can't. Like, no, God could do what he wants. Before they're born, God says the older will serve the younger. Again, the blessing is going to come through Jacob, not through Esau. None of that might not be clear or relevant to you, but relevance is coming. Just, just hang on. Why did God choose to do this? What's my answer? I have no idea. God chooses before they're born to do what he's doing. We get this, though. Family is a beautiful mystery. There's some things we know. There's some things we just don't know. Now, if you're wondering, well, maybe really, though, God's choosing the better. It's funny. Jacob and Esau, you know what their names mean? Deceiver and despiser. How's that for a, the wonder twins? Like, you know, 
neither of them are all that good. So God does not choose Jacob because he's better. Their names reflect their character. They both have issues. But that's why I said, if you want to know who God, how God is faithful, look at what God has done, and then look at who God chooses to use. God chooses to work through. And this is what Paul's saying. Those of you who know your Bible in Rome, did God need perfect people to do his will? No, because Jacob and Esau are both totally flawed. But God sends uh, Jesus through flawed people. You've got to remember who Jesus' ancestors are, humanly speaking, and they're not perfect. In other words, God chooses to work through imperfect people to bless the world. And let me tell you, on Mother's Day, Father's Day, Memorial Day, Labor Day, any old day, this is good news. That God chooses to bless the world through imperfect people, which means I've got something to do. And I'm here to encourage you and remind you, God, who knows what he's doing, is still trying to bless the world, bring his blessing to the world. And guess who he's going to use? Straight-A students, perfect people. No, he's going to use all of us. God doesn't need perfect people. He just needs available people and people who are awake to what he's doing. That's such an encouraging word, especially when you feel like, well, I did this and I did that, or I failed to do this. Man, maybe it's just too late for me. It is not too late for you. God knows what he's doing. If he can work through Jacob, goodness gracious, he can work through you. All right, that's a little bit of what God's doing. But we got to get to this word, which is tricky, and I want to explain it as best as I can. And again, if you leave with questions, join the club. Election. Let's think about the word election. Look at verse 11. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand. Now, what does election mean? Now, God, to state the obvious, he's not talking about voting. Okay, he's not talking about like, oh, God wants us to vote in our leaders. Election is not, has nothing to do with that. But it, the root of it does. Election in Romans 9 is selection or God's choosing. So it's similar, but it's not about voting. It's about God deciding. So God makes choices. God selects. Fair enough. He does that. And we see it in Abraham, of all the people on the planet. Abraham, through your singular, singular seed, I'm going to bless the world. Now, we know in light of Jesus that seed is the Messiah himself. All right, but what kind of choosing is God doing here? And this is where it gets tricky. How does God select people? He chooses Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what about Ishmael? What about Esau? God doesn't. Choose them. Or put another way, God deselects them. He could have selected them. You know, it's, it's like middle school again. You know, two sides, two teams, two captains. And everyone, please man not be last. You know, please man not be last. You, you want to be chosen, right? You want to be selected. What kind of choosing is happening here? This is where there are real differences. And I want to be sensitive because as a church we have all sorts of understandings. Romans 9 and 10 and 11. Is, is discussed by people with serious brain power who don't agree. So I'll give you two 
major views. One is that God is showing us in Romans 9 who he chooses to save or to not save. Election is about God's choosing. So he chooses Jacob. He doesn't choose Esau. By the way, if you look at Esau's family tree, it seems to go further and further from God. That's just the way. Or Ishmael, same thing. His family tree goes further and further from God. So it's showing us God chooses some to be so the elect are those that God has chosen before the foundation of the earth. We have nothing to do about it. It's not by works. It's by God's choosing. That's one understanding. Now, I, could, I read body language. Some of you are smiling. Some of you are cringing. And so I just want you to know that that's not the only reading. That's not the only understanding. There actually is another way to view what God is doing. And it just happens to be the one personally that I line up with and our elders here as a church. You don't have to hold this understanding. We respect each other. We don't leave churches over this and we don't fight over this. But we sometimes choose to see the text in a different way. I think what's happening here is Paul is not talking about who is saved and who is not saved. But he's talking specifically about who was elected, selected, chosen to be the family line of Jesus the Messiah. And that is a massive difference. He is not showing us who is going to be with God forever and who is not. Although, hear me clearly, there are some who are going to be with God forever and some who are not. But in Romans 9, that's not his major point. The question he's asking is, is God faithful to his promise? What's the promise? The promise is to send the Messiah. Does God send the Messiah? Yes. How does God send the Messiah? He shows us through Abraham and through Isaac and Jacob. And you can trace the line all throughout Scripture to the coming of Jesus. Now, if you don't trust me, when in doubt, quote someone who's a lot smarter. Doug Moo, who happens to be a great resource on this, he writes this, quote, what seems clear is that none of these texts say anything directly about the spiritual fate of the individuals. Isaac and Ishmael and Jacob and Esau. Let me pause. I don't think God is telling us here where they are with him. Continue the quote. The Old Testament does not, at least in these texts, reflect on whether they're saved or not. It's concerned solely with the roles they'll play in salvation history. Election of them is not election to salvation, but election to play a certain role in the old unfolding plan of God. Now, I know that's just, that's a thick quote there, right? So I stripped it down to another one-liner. Election in Romans 9 is about God choosing to fulfill his promise of blessing through certain people. Now, is that everyone's understanding of election? No. But as you read the text, you have to go one on one train of thought or the other. And as I read it, because the question is about God's faithfulness, I think the most likely is that he's talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that God works even when people are unfaithful, which is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and everyone else. God is the thread throughout who is always faithful and Jesus is born from the tribe of Judah. And Jesus is born from the line of David. And guess what? People messed it up, but God didn't mess it up. 
And so selection is about God choosing to fulfill his plan. Now, we don't know why he chooses them, but he does. So I don't think this is about who is saved and who isn't saved. If you disagree, it's okay. In the end, we would all agree in Romans and in everywhere else in the Bible, salvation to the person is by God's grace through faith. And so if you don't express faith in Jesus, you are not a part of his family, hands down. But if you do express faith in Jesus, you are a part of God's family. And both sides agree with that wholeheartedly. Let's move on. Let's go to the hardest part and rejoice. All right. That was the easier. <laughs> I'm not kidding. All right. Let's look at the final verse here. And I'll throw this on the screen because you may not be reading in your Bible. She was told, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. It's a stumbling block. <laughs> what? God loves one kid and God doesn't love the other kid. Is that, is that what this is saying? Well, no. Now, I think in our soul we kind of know it, but we don't know why. And I'll give you the why. This is a mixed quote. The first part, the older will serve the younger, is Genesis 25. But the second half, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated, is not from Genesis. It's from Malachi. So Paul, who is assuming they know their Bible, mixes two parts of the Bible and says, boop, here they are together. Now, what's the quote from Malachi? I'll put it on the screen for time. This is Malachi 1, 2-4. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have I loved you? And then God rehearses their history. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? So Esau and Jacob are related. Yet I have loved Jacob, which becomes Israel. But Esau I have hated and I have turned, and this is the key, I have turned his hill country, his hill country? into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert shackles. What is going on here? Well, here's the clue, the next verse. Verse 4, Edom may say, now where did this guy come from? The Edomites are the descendants of Esau. Now I may have lost you, but let me grab you back. Jacob and Esau stand for people in the Bible, but not just an individual. There was the guy, Jacob, twin brother Esau. They also represent their family lines, which become nations. When Malachi is writing about Jacob and Esau, he's not talking about the two brothers. He's talking about their family lines. Edom is the outcome of Esau's generation after generation after generation. So God does say, Edom may say, though they've been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I'll demolish. I want to give you a big, a quick history lesson. At this time, the descendants of these two brothers end up being against each other. Israel, Jacob, this is where the Messiah is going to come from. But the Edomites want to destroy Israel and kill them. And this is what God says. Now, by the way, when Malachi is talking to them, the Israelites are living completely unfaithful to God. They deserve to be squashed. But look at what God says. You faithless Israel, I'm going to be faithful to my promise. Messiah is going to come through you. I'm going to save you. 
not because of anything you've done. But I'm going to be faithful, and therefore, these people are trying to kill you. I'm going to squash them. In that sense of the word, we say, and by the way, the Edomites are not the good guys. They're evil. And they don't follow the creator, and they're living their own pagan way. And what God does is say, if you try to come against my kids, like any good parent, I will take you out. And what this shows is the faithfulness, not the hatred of God, the faithfulness of God to come against evil. And so my friends, is God faithful in our world that's full of evil? The answer is absolutely yes. And so there are times when God clearly steps in and suddenly evil people are gone. And I say, hallelujah. Because God is faithful to his promise, but not like we understand faithfulness. Israel has no right to gloat. They're just as faithless. And I think this is why Paul smashes the quote together and says, Jacob have I loved. I love my promise. It's a word of preference. Now, some say, well, why does God say he hates them? He prefers Israel over Edom. He's going to show his love to the world. He chooses one over the other. We see it in hyper-literal, and he's speaking more in metaphor, and Jesus does this as well. Let me give you a quick quote. Luke 14. Jesus says, great Mother's Day text. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother. Oops. Jesus said, if you don't hate your father and mother... Oh, if you don't hate your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Love mom, can't follow Jesus. But you should pay for lunch. Is Jesus saying hate your... No. Jesus is doing what many of the Jewish biblical writers, Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. It shows preference. It's emphatic on purpose to make a point. Of course you love your mom, but you know what? If you follow mom's way and prefer mom over Jesus himself, you're going to get in trouble. Because mom ain't Jesus. And dad isn't Jesus and brother isn't Jesus. And, and by the way, your own way isn't Jesus. Jesus is to be followed and loved over the others. Now, now do you get it? He's not. So I want to be crystal clear. Paul isn't saying God hated the child Esau before he was born. That's, I don't think that's what Romans is about. Now I will say there are some commentators, some scholars who would disagree with that. And that's okay. We love each other. We disagree. And in my own brain, I thoroughly got it right. <laughs> but my brain may be wrong. But what do, we, what do we know? Let's just pull it all together and let's just apply the big picture question and answer is God faithful? Here's the answer. God is faithful even when we are not. And I want you to land there. Because the whole story of God and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and down through to David and down through to Jesus doesn't show us that God works through good people, kind people, loving people exclusively. Now, does God want you to be good and kind and loving? Yes. Does faithfulness matter? Yes! I'm not saying 
Do whatever you want. God's going to do whatever he does. No, that's not how the Bible works. God is always doing what's right. And if you live in the right, God's blessing comes. If you ignore God, watch out. Yet at the same token, we're all in the same spot. And we all at times are faithless. But what God is saying to us is even in your unfaithfulness, God will remain faithful to you. And God will use you even though you have baggage. So let's just apply it to a day like today. Today when we celebrate parents, when we celebrate moms, when we celebrate, do you know, mom doesn't always get it right. And sometimes you may even be here and you're like, you know what, as I look back at my life, I, I wish I would have, I wish I could have. I, man, if only I had. Can I just say to you, God is faithful. And you know what, you may not have gotten it all right during the club, but does that mean that there's no hope and no future for your kids or grandkids or anything else because of your lack of faithfulness? Absolutely not. God is faithful even when I'm not. Now that applies to moms or dads or singles or whatever else. My response in life does not dictate God's faithfulness. God will remain faithful. And so when I turn to him, I can find help when I need it. You know, life doesn't always go the way you want. You may have kids and they've grown up and they've departed from everything you believe and hold to be true. And that happens. Does that mean you messed up? No. The story of the Bible writers are a bunch of kids who go off. And God in his love draws them back. So you, as a faithful follower of Jesus, can plead with God like Moses pleads for the whole nation. Say, God, bring them back. And God will remain faithful. God will hear your cry. And God will move when we pray. He moves on our behalf. God's faithful even when we're not. Well, let's just make it personal. Uh, people, they disappoint us, don't they? I think the people that are closest to us do us the most blessing and the most harm. Would you agree? The words of a mom or a dad or an aunt or an uncle or brother or sister can be the biggest encouragement and the biggest bombshell. How do we apply a word from Romans 9? We remember that God remains faithful even when people aren't. That means I can actually forgive. I don't have to let what happened to me dictate, now that I'm in Jesus, my future, my today, my tomorrow. I can call on a God who's faithful to step in and heal wounds and give me the power to forgive. God is that faithful to us. So Jesus is for you and Jesus is with you and Jesus wants to work through you. And so let's, let's apply it to what you do with your life. Because God is faithful, never underestimate God's faithfulness through you. Do you know that in Jesus, you are the people God chooses to use? Whether you believe it or not. So who's God choosing? You. If you're in Jesus, you are one who is now co-heir, family connected in Christ. That is your story. So forget about all the other things that we may not agree about. We would all agree if you're in Jesus, you are part of God's selected. And because you are His, if Jesus brings healing, you can bring healing. If Jesus 
brings wholeness, you can bring wholeness. If Jesus brings truth, you can bring truth. If Jesus brings favor, you can bring favor. Why? Because you're faithful? No, because Jesus is. And He is in you, and you are in Him. Now that is a whole way different than looking at the world. Some would say, if, if you don't have status, if you don't have education, if you don't have money, if you don't have this, if you don't have, have that, you're, you're not going to be somebody. To which I say, that may be one line of thinking, but that is lower than God's way of thinking. God's way of thinking is if you're in Christ, all things are possible. Is that true of you this morning? So here's what we want to do. We want to respond because God has been faithful. He now wants to demonstrate His faithfulness. How are you going to respond right now? Are you going to receive it? Are you going to say, God, because of what you've done and what you are doing, now I want to live a life of faithfulness. I want to step into you, Jesus, and live like you. I want to respond. And where I'm not, I want to repent. And I want to come back and I want to get back in line with who you are so that I can be the person you've called me to be. I hope that's your heart. By the way, that's what we've been praying about all morning long is that you would have a collision with Jesus and that you would go His way and experience all of His love and His life for you. I pray that that happens now. Like, now, now. So why don't you stand on your feet if you would and let's respond in worship. This next song can dictate your week. This next song could dictate your month. Not because of the song because of your heart response. So let's sing it as an actual response to what God is doing in Jesus. Lord, we now choose to open our mouths and respond to your love by calling on your name and inviting you, Lord Jesus, to do the real work in our soul. Lord, you are faithful. Show yourself faithful to us now, we